You've heard the expression, I live to eat. That's something a foodie would probably say. I might say something like, I live to run because I am passionate about running. People that really like their work say, I, I live for my work. My middle son, though he probably wouldn't express it in this language, would say, I live to make people laugh. All these I live to statements, when we hear them, we understand that they represent something that A, people do a lot of, and B, something people love to do. Which is why this text, there's this text in Hebrews chapter 7 that that just jumps out at me. Hebrews chapter 7. And I'll begin in verse 22. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests. Maybe I should pause here and, and, and set up, explain what is going on. What, what the author of Hebrew is writing about in this moment. The writer of Hebrews is explaining in this part of the book why Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Why, why our experience here on earth, why our experience with, with Jesus here on this earth is no longer in need of a priest as a mediator, as an as a intercessor between us and heaven because we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ. And so again, verse 22, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. There is one of those live to statements. You may say, I live to eat. Some may say, I live to shop. I live to run. I live to golf. I live to make people laugh. Whatever it is you love, Jesus says, I live to intercede for you. Another way you could say that is Jesus is saying, I live to love you. And I'll show you just how true that is. That is what Jesus lives for. Now I could stop there and even if you tune me out right there, I want this to be sealed into your brain. Every time from now on for the rest of your life that you hear someone say, I live to, I live to eat, I live to shop, I live to see you happy, I live to whatever it may be, you are now going to think about this, that Jesus lives to intercede for you. Jesus lives to love you. I want that phrase sealed in your brain. So every time you hear someone say that, immediately the Holy Spirit will trigger that in your brain and you'll remember no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you'll remember that Jesus loves you. Remember, we are looking at at how the roles of Jesus scream to us, I love you. Jesus as creator. Every act, what is what did on white write? Every act of, of creative power is an expression of, of his infinite love 
for us. Jesus is Savior. What we looked at last week, hey, I am the only human to ever have the choice to be born. And I chose to be born so that I would then have the choice of whether to live or die. The only human to ever have the choice of whether to live or die. And Jesus says, and I embraced death so that you would hear from the cross, I love you. And now, Jesus as intercessor. What I live for post-cross, Jesus says, what I live for post-my sacrifice, post-resurrection, what I live for now, the thing I love most, I always live to intercede for you. I could end there, but I'm not going to end there. I want you to understand just how much this word intercession, this word intercede means. First, and I'm only covering a few of them, it actually even goes further than what I'm going to cover in this sermon. But first it means he stands in your place as your representative in the face of judgment. In the course of the universe, what is the law? The law is that if you transgress the law, you have sinned. And the punishment for sin is death. I, on my own, standing there before judgment, get this death sentence every time. You do too. You transgress the law, you sin, you receive death. And no matter how good you are, you can never overcome those transgressions. Because here's the thing. The Bible says all our good works are like filthy rags. They're like rags covered in excrement. They're the grossest thing. But then I accept Jesus as my friend and he lives to intercede for me. I accept him as my savior, as my brother, as my Lord, and he lives to intercede for me. So instead of, of guilty... I sin, I transgress, the, I transgress the law, I sin, I deserve death, but I say, Jesus, I need you, save me. Jesus intercedes for me, and I'm declared innocent. What he's done now represents me. His perfect life now represents me. His death now represents me because he intercedes for me. He steps in to my place and represents me. Years ago, there was a story in the New York newspapers. It turns out that, that on Long Island and several municipalities on Long Island, there were a number of, of slap houses as they are referred to in this story. Do you know what slap houses are? I didn't know before I read this story. And actually, there's, there's I think, multiple meanings to a slap house. But, but, but in the context of this story, and of the way this newspaper described it, it, it indicated that there were houses that were assessed a higher tax value than they were really supposed to receive. It was a scheme that the municipalities had set up there in, in East Long Island to make money. A lot of folk out there in that part of Long Island knew, or it seemed at least to them, that they were paying 
way too much money in their property taxes. But the tax system was so confusing and the code was so intricate that, that even if they tried to look into it, they, they got lost and it made no, no sense to them. And no one really knew for sure, although they felt like they were paying too much. But there was one man that lived there in East Long Island, not a lawyer, not an accountant, just a man who felt like he was paying too much and was curious about this. He was also a very smart man, obviously, because in his free time, he decided to study the tax codes, the the tax laws of the municipality. He decided to not only study them, but to, to master the tax codes, to find all the loopholes and the gotcha devices that were set up to allow these municipalities to overtax these slap houses, these properties, where they assumed the people would never be able to figure out that they were paying too much. And then this man offered for one of his neighbors his services to represent him before the local municipality tax board and the tax commissions there in Long Island. And this average Joe that grew up amongst all these people that was just one of the neighbors who had just decided to take the time to study the tax codes won the appeal against the government. And his neighbor's taxes were decreased. And then he represented another and he won again. And another and he won again. And another, and he won again. And this person, and that person, and he won, and he won, and he kept on winning. All these people were having their taxes reduced. And the municipalities and the commissions became so angry with this, with this guy because he would represent these people that, that would have no idea how to overcome these high taxes if it were not for him. These people that he represented... They weren't brilliant. They weren't disciplined enough to study the the tax codes. But when this guy stood with them in the commission, his brilliance became theirs. And their taxes were lowered every time. Y'all, that is intercession. It's Jesus' brilliance. It's Jesus' diligence and discipline. It's Jesus' work. When Jesus represents me, all of that is accrued in my name. I get the benefit. If he's my representative, then I'm smart in court. If he's my representative, then I'm brilliant. If he's my representative, then I look like him. That is intercession. When you are about to pay tax tenfold for your sins, Jesus comes to you and he says, can I represent you? Can I stand in your place? Can I intercede for you? I I love to do this. Why do people say no to that? Why? But intercession means something else as well. 
Do you know one of the most popular stories that, that children learn from the Bible when they're little kids is a story of, of intercession. The story is about only a boy named David. Only a rippling brook. Only a boy named David and five little stones he took. And one little stone went in that sling and the sling went round and 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 round. And when we were kids, they would keep going round and round. All the kids would get excited, I remember, at camp meeting. And one little stone went up in the air. The song says, and the giant came tumbling down. The story of David and Goliath is a story of intercession. It is a messianic foretelling, a, a picture of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, living to make intercession for us. If you read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know that the story goes that, that David was the youngest brother of many brothers. And and he is not out at battle, but his brothers are out at battle. And he's tending the sheep at home. And one day his father says to him, hey, leave the sheep and I want you to go check on your brothers and I want you to take them some food. I don't know if they're getting fed well enough. So I want you to go take them some food. So David gets the lunch basket and he goes out to find his brothers and to see how they are doing. And as David goes out to, to see what is happening... He hears this big dude, an actual giant, coming out to invite someone from the camp of Israel to fight him. And David is asking around, why won't anyone go out there and, and fight this guy? One of his brothers hears him and chastises him and said, you with your arrogance, what are you going to do? You're not going to do anything. Get out of here. And David keeps asking, but no one will go out and fight. So David's saying, hey, I would, I would do it. And the king, King Saul, overhears this and tells David to come. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 32, we read these words that David said to Saul. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And what happens? David goes out, as the song says, and hits the giant in the head, knocking him to the ground. And then David gets his sword and he goes and he cuts off the head of Goliath, the Philistine. And in that moment, all the Philistines start running and all the Israelites start chasing them and they get possession of all the things that they've left behind. The whole story, in a way, seems ridiculous, only it wasn't. David was the Archegos. Last Sabbath after church, we were chatting at lunch, and my boys uh, made some snide comment about, about Satan. And I said, don't ever, don't ever underestimate Satan. Don't get, don't get casual with Satan. He will whip your tail. The boys, one of the boys asked me, do you think he could start our Christmas tree on fire? And I said, yeah, he could. And Christina came up with this whole thing, how he could 
blow up some power box far away and send a surge all the way through miles and it could come into our house and our whole tree would explode in flames. Who knew that my wife was such a, a pyro? But the boys like that. But I told them, that is why the Bible says, I said, don't take Satan lightly. He can do anything, almost anything. I said, but don't, that is why the Bible tells us, greater is he who is in us, Jesus, than he who is in the world. I said, the reason why Jesus needed to tell us that is because on our own, we cannot defeat the giant of Satan. Satan is way more powerful than you boys, I told them. But Jesus standing in for you, he'll take care of the fight. He'll intercede if you'll let him. And Satan has no power against Jesus. Jesus is our archegos. He is our intercessor. And Jesus doesn't only intercede to help us overcome our junk. He intercedes when we've fallen into our junk and our sin and our mess. When Satan is there whispering in our ear, or maybe it isn't even Satan, maybe it's just our own self-loathing whispering in our ears, you are no good. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that condemnation? You, you mess up again and you feel condemned? I do. I, I'll admit it. I, I hear sometimes Satan telling me, you're a bad dad. Can't believe you did that. You're a bad husband. I can't believe you did that. You're a bad pastor. You're a bad friend. You're, you say you love Jesus? You're not a good Christian. I hear that condemnation. Do you remember that story in John chapter 8? A woman is caught having sex with someone she's not supposed to be having sex with. And she is dragged... In John chapter 8, she's dragged before Jesus and before a group of people. And the men all around her are condemning her. They're, they're, they're laying out the utterance of her sin over and over and over again to Jesus. They're, they're reciting the scriptures that, that condemn her. And Jesus, in his gentle and miraculous way, through just riding in the sand, drives away these condemning voices. And then he asks the woman, he looks at her and he says to her, where are those that condemn you? And she realizes in that moment, everyone is gone. And she says, there's no one here, Lord. And then that first phrase in that next sentence, and Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. You know why he can say that? Yes, because he's going to die for her. But also because he's going to live for her. He's going to die for her, but he's going to be resurrected and live for her. To ever make intercession for her. One of my favorite verses is in all the Bible is Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And if you have your Bibles, turn there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And it says, There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wait, how is this possible? I, I struggle. I'm still a sinner. I know that I've let you down, God. I, I hear the voices calling to me. I hear the voices condemning me and attacking me. But, but you say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How is this possible? Verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. Let me get the page here. Verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, how can God be for me when I've when I messed up so much? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Listen to this. Now here's the thing. Whom will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? In other words, who will condemn those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Does Satan condemn you? Does your own voice condemn you? Do, do, do well-intentioned people who don't study the Bible enough condemn you? Who is it that condemns? No one. <coughs> Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The question is asked, who can condemn you? And the answer is no one. Why? Because Jesus lived and died and then rose up and now lives again at the right hand of God and is also... Paul writes, interceding for us. That woman caught in adultery, Jesus could say to her, no one condemns you and neither do I. How is that possible? Because I not only will die for you, but I will live again for you to make intercession for you. You hear those voices condemning you and Jesus says, let those go. Satan, move away. In the book of Zechariah, there's this beautiful, beautiful picture of, of Zechariah, uh, 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 a dream of, of, of Joshua, the high priest, standing before the throne of God, and he's covered in filth and rags, and it says, Satan, his accuser, stands at his right hand to condemn him. And Jesus says, silence! He intercedes and silences the accuser. Who can condemn you? The answer is no one. How is that possible? Because Jesus lived a perfect life. He died the perfect death. He was raised to life again, but it doesn't end there. He is now our intercessor, which means he is living again for us. I always live to make intercession for you. And with Jesus as our intercessor, the condemnation is always silenced. Why? Jesus died. Jesus rose. And Jesus always lives to stand up for us. And why? Why would he do this? Because he loves you. Because he loves us. Jesus calls out of the creation. I love you. Jesus calls out 
from the cross. I love you. Jesus calls out right now from the courts of heaven. I love you. Jesus, our creator, Jesus, our intercessor, and Jesus, our savior. Let me do that over. Jesus, our creator, Jesus, our savior, and now Jesus, our intercessor. From all three of these roles of Jesus is one definitive message. I love you and everything that I have done is to tell you I love you and I want to spend eternity with you. Everybody watching right now, I want you just to take a moment and say this prayer. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your love and help me to know you as my creator, my savior, and my intercessor. The Bible says, ask and it will be given unto you, seek and ye shall find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Jesus loves you. Allow him to love you fully and see your life transformed. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being our creator, our savior, and our intercessor. I thank you that before time and at the beginning of time, you took on the role of creator and everything you made was to express this truth. I love you. You knew what was coming in the history of sin and yet, yet you wanted things in nature. You wanted the relationships that you created around us to be a testimony of, of your love for us. And then you took on a new role as, as, as fully human and you lived this perfect life and, and you chose something that did not have to be yours. You chose death. So that we would hear in your agony, I love you. And I don't want you to suffer as I'm suffering now. I want you to spend forever with me. But Jesus, after you died, praise God, you rose up again. And rather than dusting off your hands and said, hey, I did what I could, I, I set an example for them and hopefully they'll accept that cross. You said, for the rest of this earth's history, I'm going to live to make intercession for them so that they will continue to know that I will stand in their place I will fight their battles. I will fight their battles. I will silence their condemnation. And I will say once again, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. May we love you with all our hearts.